Profscast with Professor Fensterle and guests. Yeah, welcome to the Profscast. Uh, I'm Joe Fensterle from the Rheinwald University in Kleve in Germany. And today my guest is uh, Patrick Borso. Patrick, welcome to the Profscast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so as you see, we are sitting in the outside today. It's 34 degrees Celsius, I think, so we decided yeah. we cannot go inside. But we're in a special location. We are here at the Rheinwald University on the campus of the Rheinwald University. And therefore, we do the interview here. And what you will see later on, Patrick is a very special guest because he's a former student. In More precisely, he's a first-year student of bioengineering, which makes me happy. And uh, as he's a student, of course, a former student, we also have as a motivation here a beer that <laughs> the interview gets smoother at these uh, 34 degrees. Patrick, I also already said that you're a former student and we here. So if I say you're now an electron transport guy, is that completely wrong? Or could That's you not completely wrong. So the transport of electrons to generate energy, which can then be used to fix carbon, for example, is the key feature of the symbiosis we're working on. So we're working on chemosynthetic symbiosis in my department, where invertebrate animals live together with bacteria in regions where they have no access to other food sources. For example, the mussels we're working on, Bacillus mussels, they live in the deep sea where they don't have any algae where they can filter feed on. So they completely change their body plan, their gills, their respiratory organ is now filled with bacteria. Those bacteria can tap into chemical energy sources like methane or hydrogen sulfide, which comes out of the seafloor in these black smokers or hydrocarbon seeps. Mm -hmm. And they share the energy they can generate from oxidizing those substrates with their host. In return, they get shelter and always a fresh stream of new nutrients provided by the mussels. Okay, we will come more precisely on, on, on the research later. So at the end, you work uh, in, in symbiotic relationships between bacteria and vertebrates, mm -hmm. uh, to, to summarize it briefly. But where do you actually work at present? Uh, right now, I'm doing my PhD at the Max Planck Institute for Marine Microbiology in Bremen, in the Department of Symbiosis and the Research Group of Metabolic Interactions. Okay, so this is um, what you do now, but your scientific career, I know at least one part of your scientific career which started here at the Rhein-Valley University. Could you briefly state where, where you have been already? So yeah, I did my bachelor's degree here and then for my internship I went over to the Netherlands, just 15 miles that way, uh, in the Department of Microbiology. At the, the University Rad of Nijmegen, yeah. Yeah, at the Radboud. Um, and my key into this was basically that I knew how to work with bioreactors. So that was my entry into the, the world of basic research, I would say. And then uh, I stayed there for my bachelor thesis also. Um, then I was intending to also continue in the Netherlands. But then I got the, the offer, the invitation to uh, join my former boss to come with him to Bremen because he was building his own research group there. Uh, so I worked one year for him and then I started the MARMIC program. That's the International Max Planck Research School for Marine Microbiology at our institute. So it's a combined program for master's and PhD candidates. And I did this master's, which is a fast track, so one and a half years for 120 credit points. And then I stayed there to 
do my PhD. Okay, so the first step was you had a professor who showed you to work with bioreactors. That's where it all that was, started, yes. That was the starting point. That's nice to hear. So we don't talk about who the professor was, <laughs> <laughs> but he was here at the Rheinwald Unit. He That's was good. here, yes. You went to the Max Planck. That's interesting. So you, directly after your bachelor thesis, you went to the Max Planck Institute. Did they pay you or... Well, yeah, first I, I wasn't studying for a year. I was working, so yeah. I, I was paid for my work. Yes. So you were at the. You started as the right right after your uh, your bachelor here in bioengineering at the Rheinwald University. You started as a staff scientist in uh, at the Max Planck Institute. I don't know if staff scientist is the correct uh, word. I don't know even know what my title was back then. My job was basically to to build up the lab. So it was yeah. an empty lab, basically, which we joined, and then we ordered the, the bioreactors. I had to arrange for like the, the gas lines to be set, order a lot of stuff, set up the first reactor, set up the GC, develop protocols, at one point write a, a safety concept for nitrous oxide, stuff like that. Yeah, so this is what uh, we would term is usually a work of a postdoc. So this is a staff scientist because this is not a technician's thing uh, which can be done. And I was very happy to have before at the Rheinwald University, Patrick was a student's assistant in my lab and we started right away with bioengineering and we had nothing. And therefore, I he also built up more or less with me together all these lab courses and therefore I could easily understand why they, at, uh, from the Radbo or uh, now Max Planck, they immediately used his knowledge to do that. Now, so, so you're now bacteria symbiosis and so on. We will talk about that later um, because that sounds quite cool. But before studying bioengineering, did you always dream of diving to the bacteria doing symbiosis? Was that always your dream to become a scientist in microbiology? I, I would say maybe it was a dream to become a scientist, but it wasn't really a plan. So I didn't quite know what, how to become a scientist, I would say. And... Um, Yeah, no, I, it was just a lucky coincidence that I, I slipped into it and I like it a lot because honestly, like this kind of job is like a big playground. It's so cool that you can just follow your interests and of course you have to work also for your supervisors to make everyone happy, but it's really cool to really feed your, your curiosity in that way. So I, I couldn't think of a better job right now. I think it's a good description. Uh, being a scientist means being curious all over your life. You like to learn something new and this makes you happy. I think that's that's very important. But did you do the same before? Did you right away start after school with... Uh, no, so I started out to um, study mechanical engineering and chemistry in Aachen and then, yeah, I don't know, I dropped out also, worked a bunch of stupid jobs and then I at some point decided, okay, now maybe it's a good, good point in life to start over and then I also took the, the degree here very seriously, invested a lot of work and That was really a good decision. Yeah, I think it's no secret if I if I say that uh, Patrick was certainly one of the best students uh, we had in this year. Um, but I think it's also interesting that it's uh, uh, careers are. Uh, it's not always that you have to already think if you are five years old that you want to become uh, a scientist later on and work in uh, with microbes, and then you get that. This is very rare, so it's quite usual that uh, the career paths are a bit more unstructured at the beginning. But then you, if you want to go somewhere then you just 
take it and go there. So I think this is uh, this is a very important point. Now you you started already, but could you nevertheless just briefly explain? By the way, I realized that we plan to have a place with shadow. Um, now the shadow is a bit disappearing. So if uh, if on the on the video someone sees a drop of sweat, this is just because of the temperatures. <laughs> so, but could you summarize again um, the the research fields you work in? So it's symbiosis. We already learned. So what what's what's going on there? What's so yeah? What's going on there is that um, it's a really intricate relationship between between bacteria and and the host, and it's it's interesting for a lot of different perspectives. Of course, the medical field, how certain bacteria can survive in host cells. That's knowledge we generate there, but also it's interesting to understand our own evolutionary past. I mean, we have uh, bacteria like mitochondria in all of our cells which help us, but this is a process which has been going on for much longer. So the symbioses we are working on, they're, they're younger than the acquisition of mitochondria. And so it allows a, a, view, a different viewpoint, a different time point of how such thing can form, for example. And my field in, in particular is uh, metabolomics. So mm. I'm not looking so much at the, like the genomic or transcriptomic side. I'm looking at small molecules. Small molecules means like below 1500 Dalton. And what I try to figure out is which of those molecules get exchanged between symbiont and host. Okay. And and what again were these organisms? You, you mentioned it at the very beginning, but these vertebrates and bacteria, what exactly were these organisms you were looking about and why so do they do that? We work in our department on, on different organisms. So I'm working on deep sea mussels, batimodialis mussels, mm. which are found in the deep sea. They are very closely related to blue mussels, so mm. mesmuschel, which, mm. which we all eat. And um, the body plan is similar. The only thing that's really different is that the digestive tract is smaller mm. and the, gel, uh, the gills are massively enlarged because that's where the cells, the bacteriocytes, which host the simions, are located. And we also work in our department on, on worms, for example, gutless and what do the bacteria do there in this symbiotic relationship? Exactly? So they are oxidized substrates, reduced compounds from the environment, such as sulfide, hydrogen, carbon monoxide, or... Uh, methane and the energy they generate is shared with the host okay so it's it's kind of the energy source so it's kind of the extra extracellular mitochondria for the uh, for the vertebrate at at present extracellular this is actually a thing still of debate if they're truly intracellular okay. or maybe not but <laughs> this, there will be publications in the coming years i think but yeah it's it's sort of a mitochondrium yeah but it's not just energy, it's also carbon. So the carbon that gets fixed comes from the bacteria. Okay, okay. it's also carbon. It's not citric acid cycle and it's uh, also carbon. <laughs> <laughs> but in the deep sea, I would suggest there is not much oxygen there. So this is... Deep uh, sea is actually uh, pretty oxygenated. Yes. Okay, it's oxygenated. Yeah. So, okay. so in the sediment, yeah. we, we run out of oxygen pretty quickly. But ah, so it's not in the sediment, it's in the in the, in the free-floating area or on the upper like level the, of the sediment. On the sediment. sediment, on on the sediment. Yeah. Okay. Um, and especially because the mussels have this uh, cilia where they can transport fresh water. They can pr uh, provide a lot of oxygen also to the bacteria. Do, do you need to dive so deep to find symbiosis between um, bacteria and other organisms? No, of course we have it on land. Insect symbiosis is a very vivid field yeah. of research. But actually we found those kind of symbiosis first in the deep sea and everyone was surprised. And then when we looked, we also found it in shallow waters. For example, okay. in the Mediterranean, we have these gutless oligochetes, which are worms, which don't have a mouse or a gut or an anus, so they can't eat. They just 
packed full of bacteria, which do the same purpose as a digestive tract. But isn't it because it's also cool? This is kind of symbiosis. I, I, I think of you, you have a big uh, ship where you then uh, go out for four weeks, uh, take some samples, have fun. Uh, isn't that a bit the, the uh, marine bio biology what I... It is, yeah, for ah, sure. Okay, that's, that's so, good that you confess So far, <laughs> I wasn't uh, fortunate enough to get on a cruise ship yet, mm -hmm. like a research cruise. But I've been to Elba two times. I've been to Zöld. I've been to Spiekeroog. Mm -hmm. So field work is definitely something really nice. It's exhausting. You're not, you know, stopping work and then having a cocktail at most days. You're really working 24-7 if the samples are coming. It's a lot of work, but it's it's a privilege, definitely. And it's it's very enjoyable okay. to go into the field. Yeah. yeah, but it's good to hear that it's not 24-7 cocktails. It's 24-7 work. That is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... So this is the the overall research area. So of course you're you're just a PhD student at present. So therefore, of course, you will not have 500 publications. But could you maybe explain what your let's say the project you like most, what you have performed? It, must, it could also be the project from Nijmegen, also it doesn't matter. So what yeah. what you what you like most at, um, at up to now? What I like most at the moment is like we try to develop a, a technique where we can use stable isotope tracers and mass spectrometry imaging. But this is like the, the long shot right now. So we're developing the technique and then we try to find an application where we can use it to show transfer of molecules from simeon to host, for example. Um, right now, I almost finished, like I was involved in a project. It was not my project. I just joined the, the study to do experiments and I'll be a co-author on that. That was a seagrass project mm -hmm. where we looked at like the turnover of uh, simple sugars in the sediment below the seagrass meadows. And, and that was really fun because I got to do the experiments. I got to analyze the data. So that was a, a whole package that was fun. And what, what did you actually, um, let's say, what did you look at in the seagrass stuff? So... Um, That was a while ago that a colleague of mine found that under the seagrass meadows, there's a lot of sucrose, mm -hmm. like really high concentrations, millimolar sometimes. And we were surprised because usually sugars don't accumulate so much in the environment, maybe mm -hmm. in fruit juice or so, but you don't get very sweet spots usually. And those sweet spots in the in the sea, as they were called by um, Amelia Sogin, the, the first author of the study, um, We're surprising us and we tried to figure out why is that the case? Why do we find such an accumulation? Why isn't it just degraded away when it's uh, produced? And then we conducted some experiments with uh, 13C labeled sucrose, measured how fast it gets degraded. If we just take the sediment, then if we wash the sediment or if we dilute it in a bottle, and then we tried to find if there's maybe an inhibitor at play. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you already talked about uh, that what you do actually is metabolomics. Could you briefly explain what metabolomics is? What does it stand yeah, for? Yes, so metabolomics is we really look at small molecules. Mm -hmm. So like everything which is, is not a peptide, basically, that's, that's a metabolite. It can be hormones, it can be small organic acids, just intermediates of, of metabolic pathways. And uh, we, the, like, the tools we use to, to find those is with mass spectrometry. So it's basically like you weigh molecules and from this you can deduce what the molecule is. You can basically measure different molecules in a machine when you inject a small sample. But what does this omics stand for? Okay, this is these are metabolites, but why what what omics? What does the omics mean? Yeah, so the omics discipline is um, it's just inserted into relation with like genomics, transcriptomics and, and the other disciplines. 
And like the data, we get as the mass spectrometry data, and then we have to annotate it just as we would do for genomics. Um, so we can do databases for this or like retention time as a tool to distinguish different masses to find out which molecules are. And then if we have the annotations, we can map them back to the other omics disciplines. We can see where a molecule fits into a pathway. Okay. So in the other words, also, you don't follow one metabolite. You look at all the metabolites at the same time, and then you fit it into the in the transcriptomics, what, what is, has been transcribed. So, yeah, and so on. Yeah. We do both. So we do the overall picture. Mm -hmm. But this is similar to, I would say, genomics. If you get a genome yeah. and you have 4,000 genes... And you try to look at all of them, and half of them are hypothetical proteins. You, yeah. you drown in data, yeah, basically. Yeah. So sometimes it's helpful to really focus on one pathway okay, and yeah. follow those, like the intermediates of this one pathway or the final product. But it would still the, the starting point in omics is uh, just start to look where, where the interesting things happen, and then pinpoints to the to the pathway where you say this is something we should have a closer look on. Yeah. And this is sometimes difficult to find out like what's the interesting one. It's not always the most abundant molecules which mm -hmm. are the really interesting mm -hmm. ones. And that's actually something which like was developed in the working group I'm now. Mm -hmm. um, it was a nice paper which came out at the beginning of the year which combined fish, so fluorescence labeling of bacteria with mass spectrometry imaging. Mm -hmm. And then if we see that the molecule is distributed in the same way as the fish signal, so where the symbionts are, then we know, okay, this might be involved in the interaction between symbionts okay. and host. Okay. Okay, so so you you already described a bit. So this is the metabolomics, the methods you already mentioned, mass spec. So how how do you analyze that technically? We use different techniques for mass spectrometry. The first choice is like your medium. If you have your uh, metabolites in the liquid phase, in the gas phase, or the, the solid phase. And what you always need to do is you need to ionize your molecules. They're so light, you can't actually weigh them. So you have to ionize them, and then on either magnetic or electric field, they get deflected in a different way, and then you can determine what the mass of the different molecules is. Um, and we have three mass specs in, in our group. Actually, one is a GCMS, which is a, a workhorse for environmental samples, where you inject a tiny bit of an extract from either pore water or from a tissue, uh, and it gets vaporized, and then it gets analyzed after it's been separated in the gas phase. And similarly, the LCMS works in uh, the liquid phase, so it's a chromatography method where you separate your molecules based on the act interaction with the is a column. Just as an explanation, GC stands for gas chromatography, LC for liquid chromatography. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, and um, this we use for liquid samples, also tissue extracts. And there we have an, an Orbitrap mass analyzer, which is so accurate that if you have the mass of the molecule, you can also tell of which atoms it is composed because okay. of the mass defect. Okay. So this is really cool. And the coolest machine really in uh, our department is the MALDI, which is for uh, matrix-assisted laser desorption ionization mass spectrometry imaging. And what we do there is we have a sample, which could be a tissue section, for example. We shoot at it with a laser, so in a grid-like fashion. And then every spot we hit with the laser, we evaporate a tiny cloud of molecules, which would get ionized, get uh, analyzed in the mass spec. And then we can basically have a picture where we have different distributions of different molecules in, a, yeah, in every pixel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when Patrick Still was here, he was always fascinated of cool machines. So I'm happy that you found another environment with cool machines. <laughs> <laughs> But I think this is, uh, that, as we always hear in this, um, 
So it's a kind of a rhetoric question. So you have fun in what you do? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, sometimes there are things which are repetitive, annoying. Sometimes there's time pressure and you have to write something, and which is not really fun. But I would say most days I like to go to work. If it wasn't in the morning, I'd be even more happy. But I enjoy my job, yes. So in other words, you would again go in this direction. So Definitely. you don't regret that you don't build up machines now. No. I, I do it uh, all over again, yes. Okay. Um, now, this is um, what is your precise work. What do you think in, in the field uh, of bacterial symbiosis or so? What is now the, the real um, most important direction going on now mm. in this field? There are several. I mean, there is not one. I mean, I could name, maybe name one which I find most important and then like yeah, two-thirds so of, yeah, the, yeah, of yeah. the department we have said. What I find was really important was so stable isotope probing of proteomics mm -hmm. where you can get a stable isotope signature from a metaproteome. And that yeah. tells you which member of the community, so the host and the different symbionts, what their food source is, basically. Because depending on which way you use to fix your carbon, you have a different signature in the abundance of the heavy carbon isotope, carbon-13. So you feed your, your community with a, with a substrate which has incorporated C13, and, and this then you trace. Not even. Yeah, this is one possibility, but it works even with the, the natural abundance of 13C. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And like different enzymes to fix carbon, like Rubisco, they all have their specific signature mm -hmm. in all of the carbon they fix. And we can trace this all the way through the proteome and um, then tell by the proteome what the members are feeding on, what their most likely food source is. Okay. Now, if you if you go beyond your field, if you say the complete of field of biology, okay, you're still a PhD student, but nevertheless, what in your eyes is the most fascinating thing which is around now in the field of biology? Um, it's definitely for me uh, astrobiology. astrobiology. So that's the biggest question. Okay. I would say we had now a bit of, of stir up because of phosphine on yeah, on phosphine Venus. on the Venus. Yeah, this yeah, is. Yeah, um, I mean. And it's always the press. Are there bacteria in the atmosphere? My guess would be phosphide disproportionation as a source for yeah. phosphine. But this is, of course, always what the press picks up. If there's one possibility that it's biology, they always will pick up biology. At least the bacteria will be, have a hard time. So you already are in extreme environment, but compared to the Venus, that's all uh, fun environments here on Earth. So this is Yeah, <laughs> but actually in the upper layers of the clouds, it's quite livable. And the pressure is lower, but still you have uh, sulfuric acid, uh, concentrated sulfuric there. This that's fine. We have acidophiles. They can deal ah, with okay. that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, let's fly there. But I would start with the deep sea and so on. The Venus. Yeah. Uh, I think the 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 Russians have landed um, on the Venus, and I think the 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 suns just survived for a maximum of two hours. Yeah. And they were constructed for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe first send the colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, the deep sea is actually the best uh, study place for this because my first bet for life in our solar system would be icy moons with a subsurface ocean and also hydrothermal activity. Okay, okay. Yeah, so let's follow the the Venus. So um, it's quite easy to to see at least the Venus. Then uh, we have a closer look and uh, see whether look whether somebody is shaking hands to us. Now, um, research is always also money and uh, you you talked about fancy machines and so on, but this sounds expensive. So where does the money come from for your research? As, as a PhD, usually you don't write your own grants, but you're at least already involved, I think, in grant applications. So 
Yeah, so we are very fortunate at the MPI because we have a budget already for all the all MPGs have a, a budget, which is, I think, I mean, I don't know any numbers, but uh, I'm very confident that it's a very good budget we have. Yeah. But of course, there's always like more money, for, especially for like big machines and stuff like this. I don't know the details of who, which grant paid for the uh, the mass specs we have now. I know we got some funding from the... Gordon Betty Moore Foundation recently, that was where my uh, director, Nicole Dublier, applied for. Um, right now, there's uh, my supervisor is uh, involved in, a, in an application for the Deutsche Allianz for Meeresforschung. Um, so it's always good to, to apply for extra money. And it starts also for us, for us PhDs, there's a, a program which grants access to like research stations, field stations, where we can apply for, for travel money, for example. And this is also... Uh, encouraged, I would say. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm, I see the same. So I've also done my PhD at the Max Planck Institute for Infection Biology, of course not deep sea. There I was not yet uh, uh, thinking of boats uh, and diving. Um, and money was not really an issue always at the Max Planck's, but still of course there were additional grants and so on, but the budget was already okay. So I think for, for basic research uh, in Germany, Max Planck Institutes are certainly one of the best places with respect to the budgeting. Yeah, so Patrick, it's amazing though. I think that all the viewers now want to become environmental biologists and uh, look for symbiosis uh, in bacteria, which is of course a fascinating field. I'm very happy that I had you here uh, back in Kleve. So um, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah and uh, to all the listeners also, thank you very much for your attention. I think this was also a very fascinating field. And you see, he's his first year bioengineering student and just after having the bachelor in bioengineering become a staff scientist at the Max Planck that's not too bad it's in, in, in respect to, with respect to evolution of a bioengineer so also to you thank you a lot and uh, hope to see and hear you again next time